Welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And we're in the same room. We are in the same room. And this doesn't always happen with us, and we're very excited about it. Now, uh, this week there has been a lot of uh, monkeypox news. Yes. It is very monkeypox, monkeypox, monkeypox. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we, we both acknowledge that this is an important topic that we want to discuss, but there comes a point where we just looked at each other and said, 45 minutes of it? Come on, let's find something else. And we did. We found other interesting news stories as well. We did. I'm going to, let's actually start off with a pretty interesting story uh, out of the uh, Canadian Supreme Court. Yes. And the big decision that seems to have come forward, and the reason why we think this is relevant to the gay community, is that stealth thing. Yeah. First, let's talk about what the law is. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So basically, uh, you need uh, explicit consent to have unprotected sex, basically. That if you're going to have sex with somebody and you don't want to use protection, you need to say, I'm not going to put a condom on. Is that okay with you? Now, this is obviously boiling down a complicated law to very simple elements. But basically, uh, if you want to do so, you need explicit permission. I actually have not read the explicit uh, phrasing of the law. Like, if a woman says that she's on the pill, but she's not, I wonder if that falls into that. I think this is one of those things where the law has been passed and they're still in the process of interpreting how to implement it. But the reason why this is relevant to the community, and this is why we read that far into the story and was like, oh, that's a new story, is because there is this frequent thing in the community known as stealthing, where a man will put on a condom, and then at some point during the process, remove it on the sly and then do their business and finish off inside. And stealthing is one, it's not a common vector, but it is a vector for sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah. I mean, it really does take the, the sort of uh, uh, informed part of informed consent out in the sense that if you're having sex with somebody, you know, you have the ability to do your own risk assessment. But if that risk assessment involves protection that turns out to be a lie then it is no longer you're not informed you're not aware of the consequences you know you're not making conscious decisions based on that and as a result it's it it is now anyway as of now or as of friday considered to be a form of sexual assault now let's just be very clear here because the judges were very clear okay uh there was a gentleman and a lady and uh, they, they had intercourse twice. In the first occasion, the gentleman wore a condom. Yes. Uh, in the second occasion, she thought that he'd gone to the bedside table to pull out another one. Uh, he asks a little later into it, is this okay? And she's like, yeah, you know. She thought it was about the position. Okay. Uh, but he had actually gone in without a condom. Okay. And she had thought that he had. So the other question was about whether or not this is, there was a lack of consent, specifically about not having a condom, because she mm. had specifically asked for him to use a condom. Yeah. Um, or is it about fraud? Oh. Where it was essentially the deceiving and not having a condom on, where, mm. uh, where the other person uh, may have been led to believe that, uh, that they did. Now, the Supreme Court didn't actually rule on the consent issue. Yes. But rather they ruled on the fraud issue okay. uh, regarding the use of a condom. I mean, I think it's important, you know, the big takeaway I would suggest for our listeners is, you know, if you've got established parameters of the conversation, you know, your, your, your activities, mm -hmm. play within that. You yeah. know? And if you, want, if, things, if you want things to change, reestablish consent, mm -hmm. you know, make sure that you're not deceiving people because it's that, uh, that deception, that fraud 
in particular that has uh, caught up this one individual that appealed to the Supreme Court? I think clear communication is also part of it. Like if you ask somebody, what do you think? How do I look? And they think you're talking about their new shirt and they're like, yeah, it's fine. But really you're talking about your new haircut and they're just dum-dums you didn't notice. Like it's really an issue of, of just clear communication of being like, uh, what, what do you mean when you say, is this okay? Like that kind of thing is pretty important. Uh, as a form of self-care, as a form of communication, as a form of just, you know, these things are always better when you're clear about what it is that you're doing. But yeah, I, I would say that that's kind of the, the takeaway. But the fact that this could turn into a, a sort of down the line other legal cases, because that's mm -hmm. often how precedence works. You know, even if they didn't rule that he was guilty, basically just saying, like, we don't really have anything on the books currently for like, we wouldn't be able to charge you with anything. So, oh, there's this gap in the legal system about you know consenting to using a condom and then the condom disappears halfway through we don't have anything well to they referred to a previous case where somebody had poked holes in the condom oh. and the argument being that that the act of poking holes in the condom and she ended up getting pregnant as yep. a result uh, was fraudulent okay and one of the justices wrote, uh, you know, there is no agreement to the physical act of intercourse without a condom and, you know, goes on to say, since only yes means yes and no means no, everyone gets that. Everyone's on the same page. Yes yeah. means yes, no means no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It cannot be that no, not without a condom means yes without a condom. Yes. So, okay. you know, the, the, it, it's a logical fallacy. You know, it's it's still no, mm -hmm. with, you know, regardless of how things uh, may, have, uh, may have evolved. There are obviously people who are a little bit uh, concerned now about how this, you know, what this impact of this decision is going to be. We mentioned earlier the sort of gay connection to this uh, this story. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there's necessarily something particularly gay about this, but we know that uh, you were talking about it. We were talking last night about it, and you said that you know a lot of gay community, twenty percent of the gay community has. 80% of all of the uh, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. fun times. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are some very active yes. people in our community. Yes. And not all of them are as... Fastidious. With the truth. Yes. yes absolutely. Yeah. And this question now, this clarification on the sort of interplay between consent and sort of fraudulently engaging in certain activities, uh, stealthing which I think you you tapped into earlier. Mm -hmm. I just want to be clear. I don't think the individual in this initial case was trying to do stealthing. Right, right, right. They had, had intercourse one with a, con a, a condom. Yep. I was just saying it was relevant to this show on account of yeah, stealthing yeah. existing. Yeah. But in the gay community, stealthing is a major problem where yeah. they're essentially, you, you think that there is a barrier between you, mm -hmm. euphemistically here, of course, mm -hmm. uh, only li to learn. Literally. Yeah, literally. It is literally um, a barrier. Uh, right? Only to learn that that individual has uh, decided, you know, secretly mm -hmm. uh, and surreptitiously to remove the barrier. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a number of things that are quite concerning with that. First of all, that's not what you would have consented to, the parameters of how you issued that consent. Yep. Um, but also there was, a, you know, various health risks. Mm -hmm. You know, the interesting thing in this decision is that the Supreme Court judges essentially said, look... Sex with a condom is not the same as sex without a condom. Especially when you're engaging in risk assessment. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's had babies can understand yes. <laughs> that sex with a condom 
is not the same as sex without a condom. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's really interesting, this, uh, this court decision. It really inspires, I think, a lot of pause when you're going to engage in this particular activity. Mm-hmm. We're going to just, you know, cheer it up a little bit from somewhat uh, a very serious topic. Uh, and I want to talk about Eurovision. Okay. Now, Eurovision was won by the Kulish Orchestra, uh, who had a runaway win. Yes. However, the European Broadcasting Union, the folks that make Eurovision, have essentially said, can't really have a, you know, one of the world's largest singing competitions in an active war zone. Yes. Uh, especially as the Russians recently, I think, shelled Kiev, uh, as well as many other locations all over, mm-hmm. uh, all over Europe. So they turned to the second place winner. And do you remember who came second in it was, Eurovision? It was England. Yeah, for the first time, I want to say 36 years or 37 years, mm-hmm. uh, Europe is coming to, uh, Eurovision is coming to Britain, Ooh. Um, which is a pretty big deal. There has been a lot of questions. They estimate that the Eurovision event has about 10,000 spectators. Okay. It needs to have the technical abilities to stream to... 40, 50 different countries for their, their broadcast. I mean, London did in recent history have the Olympics. Surely they still have the infrastructure still in place. Do they not? So there's a bunch of cities that have tried to put, that have essentially issued a bid uh, to be able to host Eurovision, mm. including London, okay. obviously, but also Brighton, very gay. Brighton, okay. Brighton's very gay. Leeds, not as gay. Sheffield, Birmingham. Okay. Not Manchester? Liverpool and Manchester. Because Manchester... The are on there as well. Yeah, uh, after London, Manchester is sort of the indie music capital of England, and it has been for a long time. Interestingly enough as well, outside of London, Manchester has the largest Ukrainian uh, population. Oh, okay. So they are predominantly in London, followed by Manchester. Okay. So I think that's one of the big things the BBC and others are trying to stress is that, look, this is the Ukraine's Eurovision win. Right. You know, this is, we are just providing... Like a vicarious host. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're providing the space, but this is, this is the Ukraine's party. Okay. So, I don't know, it'll be really interesting to see how this sort of, this shared moment unfolds in Eurovision. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are also keeping an eye out for Eurovision Canada. I think that's uh, still in the in the works. Could that be like Canada Vision or what, I don't know. What are we calling it? I mean, I think that's an optometrist. Maple Vision. Maple Vision. Beaver Vision. Be- mm, <laughs> mm, kind of the goose's vision. Uh, oh, my days. Do you, All know, right. do you know how many people I know who have said to me, like, I believe in animal rights. I do not condone violence against animals. Unless it's a geese. If a Canadian goose comes at me one more time, I'm just going to punch it in the face. I've yeah. heard so many people. My former vegan roommate once told me that she would punch the next goose right in its face. She draws a line at the Cobra chicken. And you've met her. You know yeah, yeah. you know that she is a pacifist, if ever there was one. But she, there was just one day she came home furious, like, I'm going to punch the next goose right in its stupid face. And it was just like, whoa. On the one hand, like, I, I, I do know 
the the plight of the cobra chicken yes mm-hmm. but on the one on the other hand just like that's that's alarming coming from you that is a lot much it's really interesting watching uh like australians and americans who are like why are why are why are canadians so obsessed with cobra chicken why are we terrified of them of the geese yeah and uh you know, essentially, yeah. I we love them, that. but when they're over there, like when, yeah, you, when from you're on a farm, when from you're a, a safe distance, park bench, and they're about eighty meters plus away, you're like, oh, the geese, and then yeah, they yeah. come close, and you're like, don't you get close, don't you get near. Yeah, and they they can be aggressive. Yeah, yeah. They are they are the least Canadian of the Canadian animals. I would rather deal with a skunk. I have dealt with skunks. They're very mm-hmm. sweet natured. You just go, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I'll go this way. You go that way. Just peace, peace, bro. Peace. Yeah, back it up. Back it up, and then they they're usually like, oh, okay, and then they wander off. Like skunks are not that bad. It's yeah. it's it's the geese. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how we got onto that topic. Well, we're gonna play a track by Gina Burgess. This is Ravens on the Roof. Really cool track. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of going for like a world musicy vibe today. Now you may recognize uh, Gina Burgess if you're a fan of the Jerry Cans, okay, uh, a rock band out of the Arctic. We will be back just after this.
and welcome back to Cangria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. Well, let's jump right into it. Monkeypox, monkeypox, monkeypox uh, is the big story dominating the LGBT media. And mm -hmm. that is because the vast majority of new cases are specific yeah. to uh, gay men, bisexual men, and men who have sex with men who may not be gay or bisexual. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, it has spread like a wildfire in, yeah. in that community. I'm gonna start off with a slightly concerning news story that I heard uh, through, I think it was Pink News. Okay. And they were reporting on news coverage in Seattle, uh, Washington, in the States, okay. where multiple men from various news agencies have spoken to different men mm -hmm. who have driven two hours north into BC mm -hmm. to get the first vaccine dose right, yeah. of, I think it's Immunoven, is the uh, Im Imvamune, sorry, Imvamune, okay. is uh, the, the Canadian version of the, of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why I am a little concerned about this on the one hand, the more people protected, the better. That's yeah. fantastic. This is really good news. Yeah. But and Canada had uh, these vaccines stockpiled because it is a general vaccine for most pox types. So we, we've had it sitting around for a while. Yeah, um, we actually, we have a quick clip here from, it's about a two minute clip here from Dr. Theresa Tam. We'll be back just after this. Awareness is key to getting ahead of the virus. While vaccination is expected to provide protection, a successful monkeypox outbreak response relies on a variety of public health measures, including public health education to equip people with the information they need to make informed choices. Monkeypox spreads in several ways. Typically, the virus spreads through close contact with an in infected person's bodily fluids, respiratory droplets, or skin source, but it can also be spread by direct contact with their personal or shared objects. As anyone can become infected, all people in Canada should be aware of the symptoms of monkeypox infection. Anyone who may have come into contact with a case or is feeling unwell or has symptoms, including a skin rash that may be due to monkeypox, should limit contact with others and report their symptoms to a healthcare provider. Common signs and symptoms include fever, headache, muscle aches, fatigue, swollen lymph nodes, and development of a new rash. At present, focusing the right strategies to the right groups in Canada involves continuing to engage with stakeholders to help raise awareness of the outbreak and address barriers to immunization and care in communities at highest risk. Currently, this includes outreach to gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men and health providers who work with these communities to help them protect their health and prevent spread to others. At this time, to lower the overall risk of getting infected and spreading the monkeypox virus, the Public Health Agency of Canada recommends practicing safer sex, having fewer sexual partners, particularly anonymous partners, even when they don't have symptoms, can also reduce your risk of getting infected. Uh, Theresa Tam mentions, she mentions a couple of times, and it's been mm. widely reported that the federal government has made available seven over 70, 70,000 doses mm -hmm. of Invermune, the, the vaccine for monkeypox. But she notes that they only estimate about 27,000 of them have been dispensed okay. so far. That's nowhere near the number that I thought that it would be. Yeah. 
you know, this is particularly targeting, uh, you know, particularly spreading among gay men. Yeah. You know, so 26, 27,000 out of three or four million. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty poor uptake, even when you consider people who may not be the right age, you know, who are maybe married and not particularly at high risk, mm-hmm. even accounting for all of those 26, 27,000 mm-hmm. out of the, you know, millions plus that it would be. Well, they are prioritizing people who are in high risk groups and that high risk group. I mean, if you take the population of men who have sex with men and then divide that in five. You're basically looking for about 20% of the population who, who tends to be a little bit more high risk. About 27,000 uh, 27, is still... Issues. It's still a bit low, but it's a good rate so far. How, how does this relate to the story See, from the people coming up from Seattle? Well, my concern here is about the availability. Okay. So the Americans have put in orders for millions and millions of doses. Mm-hmm. And the American government has the weight behind it that they can easily access this. Yeah. Now, Canada happened by circumstance yes. to have already ordered Invermune. Yes, to have a surplus just because. Yeah. yeah. People, our, our Canadian audience knows about the national stockpile, mainly because we all freaked out because the gloves were rotten and, you know, the masks are degraded. Mm-hmm. You know, at the start of the uh, the pandemic, people were like, oh my God, the stockpile. It was a big, everyone, everyone knows about the stockpile. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, Public Health Canada has been restocking the stockpile as a good, good agent, just good good business yeah. in, in restocking the stockpile. And a part of that mission is making sure that should there be an outbreak of, I don't know, smallpox, mm-hmm. uh, they have appropriate resources. I think Dr. Dr. Theresa Tam put it very coyly and said that they happened to have a stockpile for other reasons. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or they put the orders in for other reasons. Yes. My point is, it is lucky that mm-hmm. Canada happened to have a pre-existing order. Mm-hmm. But if the Americans think that there is a, uh, a sort of scarcity of, or a scarcity of the vaccine in the South and are coming into Canada to acquire those vaccines, mm-hmm. when we're all already looking at a relatively small volume of vaccines available to the Canadian Mm-hmm. Uh, population 70,000 out of the millions of just gay men. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm concerned about. I think that this is a worrying trend. I th- don't get me wrong, everyone who is at risk very much should get a vaccine. Yes. It just it raises eyebrows to hear that uh, Americans are coming up through Seattle into Vancouver mm-hmm. and I mean already there's trends of people from the states coming up into Canada to access more affordable insulin, but we don't have an insulin shortage. I don't know. It's weird and complicated and, and oddly political. Well, or it could become political. The health clinics in Vancouver and elsewhere, but the reporting was from Vancouver, are apparently more than happy to, to jab Americans. Okay. And I think that that speaks to this wider mission of vaccinating as many folks as possible yeah. where that center of the infection is. Mm-hmm. You know, really trying to cut it off from its in its knees. There was a really interesting report from the, you know, reporting from the World Health Organization saying like, look, yes, right now, this is spreading predominantly through the gay community, Mm -hmm. but this is a canary in a coal mine. This is a tight, when you think about how it's spreading in terms of the behaviors, Mm -hmm. take aside the who and look at the how, and we're looking at this rapid spread, 40%, 46% over the course of the last month, mm-hmm. those patterns of behaviors. If that 
virus tapped into other groups where they have a large pattern of intimate touching. Mm-hmm. So they're particularly concerned. There was questions raised at the conference with Dr. Therese Tam around uh, college campuses, university and college campuses, mm-hmm. with students mm-hmm. uh, who do a lot of touching. Mm-hmm. Um, you so know. I'm told, yes. Yes, yeah. And that's the argument being made, that right now it happens to be in this particular community. Yeah. So there, there is information coming out of uh, Spain and Portugal sort of did a, a joint study on this, and they recently discovered that there are infectious levels of the virus in the saliva, semen, urine, and feces of people with infections, and the viral load shows up in your body fluids. They didn't really have uh, enough numbers of women who are infected to, to come to any valid conclusions about female body fluids but definitely the saliva was the big one right there because it's rare for viruses to show up in saliva but the main thing is a lot of people they know if somebody has open sores if they have a rash if they have chills if they have a fever if they have body aches maybe don't go home with them but the virus is showing up in the saliva before some of those secondary features are showing up so even though fundamentally Monkeypox is not sexually transmitted. It is a general transmission close contact virus. It's behaving as if it were sexually transmitted because it's showing up, the viral load is showing up in the body fluids before it is, uh, the symptoms are showing. And they think that that's really what it comes down to is that there are people who are having casual sex during that before the symptoms show period because it does take seven to nine days to incubate as she said during that clip. And all you need is somebody to have sex with you during those first five days. I'm not going to lie. I thought she said the incubation period was 79 days. And I was like, oh my Lord, no wonder why it's been, you know, so prevalent. If it's like hanging out there for 79 days. Yeah. But no, no, it it was seven to nine. Yeah, yeah. Way more sense to me now. syphilis is the only thing with an incubation uh, longer than two weeks. Yeah, yeah, where it's slowly... uh, Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone is starting to learn more and more about monkeypox. And it's this weird thing. It's not an STI because it does transmit more readily through open sores. Mm -hmm. But because it does have this sort of, like, sneaky tactic of being infectious before being infectious, it's behaving as if it were an STI. But the usual transmission rules apply. So, I mean, even if it were completely contained within the menu of sex with men, sort of little microcosm, all you need is for a man who's infected to, like, bump elbows with somebody else, and then it's now into a different pool. The UK Health Security Agency has updated their list of symptoms for monkeypox. Uh, It now includes lesions or lesion or lesions. It could be even in the singular. Okay. uh, On the genitals, anus, and mouth. Uh, Other um, symptoms uh, that can be anywhere from mild to pretty debilitating. It could be a rash on the hands, face, feet, mouth, or genital area. Um, The rash forms flat bumps that uh, they lead to swell, which Mm -hmm. is very exciting. But other things like body aches, fevers, swollen lymph nodes, and uh, general exhaustion, all of these things have been reported. Essentially, if you're not feeling great, Mm -hmm. stay at home. Spend some time with yourself. Okay. um, Is what I would recommend. And, you know... It sounds almost archaic, this sort of abstinence approach, but weirdly, the World Health Organization and the Canadian Public Health Agency have both issued uh, medical advice to Mm -hmm. the gay community, which is have less sex with strangers. Yes. Now, this might seem obvious, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. uh, that seems to be the advice they've landed on. Now... 
So it is a kicky while you're down kind of an ailment. But let's be absolutely clear here to all of our listeners. This is not something that you want to get. No, I actually read one account from somebody where the monkey pox actually, the, the lesions started showing up in his mouth and oh in his rectum. And he couldn't swallow water and he couldn't uh, go to pass the bathroom. Solids, yeah, yeah, pass solids, let's say. And that lasted for a week. And My he gosh. ended up in hospital just on an IV drip because he couldn't safely take in fluids without hurting himself. Mm-hmm. He couldn't swallow. So that was uh, that, that's pretty dangerous. It, it's, that's an extreme circumstance, though. Absolutely. It's not a fun time. Yeah. If you are a person who engages with uh, sexual liaisons with uh, a man... Uh, in particular, men who then have had sex with uh, with other men, mm-hmm. uh, go to your local health clinic. You know, thankfully, there is they are relatively widely dispersed, and the vaccines are relatively uh, available. Well, the other story I wanted to talk about uh, today relates to the Anglican Church. Oh yes. Now, in twenty eighteen, they were so, sorry twenty yeah twenty eighteen, they were supposed to hold the uh, Lambeth Conference. Now, the Lambeth Conference, for those who may not be familiar, is a once in a once in a long while, mm-hmm. you know, conference for the Anglican Church uh, of all over the place. Yes. So we have the Anglican Church of Canada. Mm-hmm. We have the Church of England, which mm-hmm. is the you know the the big one. Uh, the Church of Scotland, the Church of Wales, yep. the Church of you know the Anglican Church of the United States. Mm-hmm. I think they may have even more than one, but I think they have at least one. And they all gather in Canterbury. Representatives gather, not. Yeah. All of them. There is quite a lot of them. There is there is a very like there is a decent decent number. Six hundred and fifty Anglican bishops Ooh. have uh, gathered up in Canterbury. There's like two, it's two weeks. There's going to be lots of praying because they're Anglican bishops. And it's a conference that never goes forward. Why? Because they have to go in the angle. They have to go diagonally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll get that, but uh, only only from diagonally. Yeah, yeah. That was a good joke. That was a good joke. Anyway, there is a. There seems to be a bit of a profound split in the Anglican Church. Okay. Now, back in, I want to say, 98, there was a motion put on the floor. And the way that okay. the way that the uh, this conference works is uh, all the bishops, the 650 bishops, have mm. calls. These are like motions in a conference. You even have motions in Parliament. They're just, you know, generally we agree with this thing. Yeah. All of us, yay. Good yeah. job. And Church oh. of England is a progressive church, not mm-hmm. in the sense that it's like progressive politics, but in the sense that it's not orthodox. It evolves. It evolves. They can yeah. choose to evolve. They can choose to stay traditional. It depends on what the conference comes up to. Absolutely. So these calls are essentially like, you know, we believe the communion, i.e. all of the, the Anglicans uh-huh. in their community, we believe the communion collectively believe X, Y, Z. Yeah. And then all of the bishops have the choice of going, yes. That is true. Yes. We will support X, Y, Z and make sure that it happens. Yeah. Or they were like, hmm, I am not convinced at the moment. Yes. Let me, let me ask the flock. Yes. Uh, And those are the two options. There was a no and a maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For these calls. No, yes and a maybe. Sorry, a yes and a maybe for these calls. And in 98, they essentially, someone had drafted a call essentially saying like, look, uh, same-sex unions, not in accordance with the Anglican faith Mm -hmm. and the Anglican communion. Essentially making the case that the communion, i.e. the Anglican folks Mm -hmm. as a whole, do not believe in this. Mm -hmm. While the backlash 
was immediate and it was intense. Mm -hmm. The the conference reintroduced these cards, these motions. It's been a while since they were even available. Mm -hmm. What I think is really interesting here is a lot of the Western branches of the Anglican Church, Church of England, Scotland, Wales, Canada, mm -hmm. uh, many others, uh, are relatively agreed on blessing same-sex unions, mm -hmm. having gay clergy. Mm -hmm. Some of them are closer to same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in the in the continental Africa in particular, the Anglican churches in those countries very much against blessing same-sex unions. Mm -hmm. Like there is a, a distinct north and south divide in the Anglican church, so much so mm -hmm. that had this gone to a vote, it may well have split the Anglican church uh, in, in quite a significant way. In twain. In twain. Yes. Now, the reason why I mentioned that there was only a yes and a maybe option is that the Lambeth Conference had to invent a no option uh -huh. because some people disagreed with it so vehemently. We know that the Canadian Anglican church is, uh, is over there. And they've been they've been supportive of uh, same sex in Canada. There is a shift in the balance of just volumes of believers, really towards sub-Saharan Africa, and their position on same sex marriage and same sex unions is is quite the opposite yes. from what you would see in in England. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting about this this conference is that the primates of uh, Nigeria, Rwanda, and Uganda. Uh, who collectively represent about 30 million Anglicans in those three countries, have boycotted this Lambeth Conference uh, because of the topic of sexuality. The Archbishop of Canterbury was supposed to have this conference in 2018 and essentially cancelled it. We reported it at the time. Mm. I vaguely recall discussing it in 2018, being like this could be the schism in the in the Anglican Church mm -hmm. or the schism if you're Canadian, yeah. And because it hasn't quite happened, the Archbishop of Canterbury has essentially kicked the can down the road, and that's what's happened again. Okay, they have decided to U-turn and withdraw the motion, okay. so it will continue to remain an undecided uh, position of the Anglican Church. And I think that's frankly due to the fact that the, the far more populous uh, sub-Saharan African Anglican Church mm -hmm. has a very strong position against blessing same-sex unions, and in particular, same-sex marriage. And then the, the, the collective North, so North, you know Canada, mm -hmm. uh, England, Wales, Scotland, etc., uh, very much believe that same-sex marriage endorsement is uh, pretty key. If the conference doesn't come to an agreement, that doesn't stop individual, I don't want to say denominations, but individual groups from doing their own thing, does it? Focusing on uh, the Church of Canada, the Anglican Church of Canada in particular. Mm -hmm. They haven't said a huge amount on this, but they do go on on their website to say, you know, that there have been calls by the LGBT community for better access into the Anglican Church mm -hmm. for, for many years. The General Synod that they refer to of 1995 really works to find that balance in the community. Um, they are keen on it. You know, they do bless same-sex uh, unions and there are LGBT folks in the clergy in the Church of Canada. Mm -hmm. I do not believe as a whole that they do same-sex marriages. Okay. Um, but we'll need to double-check that information. I am aware that they do it in Scotland. Uh, they do not do it in the Church of England. Okay. So it really is, it's a mixed bag. It depends on where you are and what, you know, what, what uh, particular flavor of the church that you're in. 
I think that Canada gets around it through the, the ban system. I do know that uh, the Anglican Church of Canada does ban marriages, and a ban marriage is where uh, the couple that's going to get married gets in front of the congregation. They say, you know, we, we plan on getting married, and then there's a discussion that happens. And, and part of that whole thing is that it circumvents, you, you know, in the, the classic wedding a movie wedding where, you know, if anybody has a problem with with it, you know, speak now or forever hold your peace. And then Dustin Hoffman shows up and bangs on the window and goes, no. So that whole thing is cut out of the band marriage because you have like three weeks to, to bring up any questions. So on the day of the marriage, there is no speak now or forever hold your peace because you had three weeks. And if you weren't part of the congregation, your, your opinion doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So... When you do that, because you have the whole congregation basically saying we don't have a problem with the same-sex couple getting married in our church, that circumvents that whole thing. Because, like, it doesn't matter what the church says, that congregation permits it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's how they've been getting... I know for sure they do the ban wedding system. And, and it's it, optional yeah. as well. Um, because it can get pretty involved. Because people in the audience, not in the congregation, they can ask some pretty personal questions. Like, have you gone to marriage counseling are you doing this for the right reasons are you just doing this because you're pregnant are you doing this for the money like they can ask difficult questions like that Mm -hmm. and you have to answer them about like no no we genuinely do feel we have a connection or whatever it can go that way usually it's just people smiling and nodding saying like we've known you people you're part of our congregation you seem like a healthy couple but it can go you know into some pretty personal questions so which is the point by the way is to help prevent bad marriages from happening before they start by just making sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how they've been getting around it. I think that's the Canadian trick. I also think that's how they got around the fact that uh, the nation of Canada did not originally have same-sex marriage, but because they did a ban marriage, they actually there's a separate form for that. And then like the Anglican Church of Canada acknowledged the ban marriage, and then that trickled up. And then uh, it was like 2002 or something. There was this whole political thing about... The church passed this thing. They filled in the paperwork, but, but anyway. that core idea of what does the community, you know, what does the the yes. congregation that very much feeds in. You know, yeah. the Lambeth Conference is really the congregation as a whole, the mm-hmm. tens of millions. Um, you know, what do they believe? Mm-hmm. Now, the Archbishop of Canterbury is really hoping that maybe the Congress uh, talk about things like the climate poverty, political fragility, mm-hmm. uh, and is quoted as saying, and I'll quote here, the idea that millions of Christians in 165 countries are going to agree on every level is an illusion. Yeah. yeah. But we do agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, okay, yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a you know, if, if finding common ground yeah. is just Jesus Christ is Lord, I worry for the Anglican Church. Well, like, if that's the depth of their agreement, then maybe there's a bit more cohesion issues uh, at play here. I mean, you got to start from somewhere. And, and, and that is where the Anglican Church is, has... I mean, it's just... It's, it's sad. Sometimes if you're having a disagreement with someone, the first thing you need to do is is find what you agree on. And I have seen fights end because they started with just things like, what are your feelings on 80s hair metal? And like, you know, we both this like This is giving it. me the vibe of like Breakfast at Tiffany's. The song? Yeah, because it's all about, you know, the, 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 the one thing they have in common is they yes. both kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. that's what I'm like, you know what? Maybe Jesus Christ is Lord is the Anglican Church's Breakfast at Tiffany's. Our 
breakfast at Tiffany's is like the broader culture's Jesus Christ is Lord. I know. We'll figure it out. Breakfast at Tiffany's is the secular Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ is Lord. Like, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we're not playing breakfast at Tiffany's. We're playing Mauvais Journée by uh, Stromae uh, off the new album. Mm-hmm. A lot of his uh, singles we played variously throughout the last uh, couple of months. Um, but this is uh, a lesser known track of the album. Very much digging this vibe. Mm-hmm. It was uh, very exciting. We will be back just after this. Ces matins-là sont trop pénibles Quand même dehors le temps est gris Et d'ailleurs dedans aussi Il y a les jours sans, les jours avec Ce sera sans, je te le parie Il y a mon caca qui a mal fini Je vais devoir frotter une heure et demie Et puis je m'emmerde, ça n'arrange rien Et comme on dit le malheur des uns Chacun sa merde, oui j'ai compris Laissez-moi, c'est mon droit d'être déprimé dans mon fauteuil Encore une bonne journée de merde Comme une journée de confinement Comme une journée d'anniversaire Passer la barre des 35 ans Franchement, à quoi ça sert Un peu comme moi, tout le monde s'en fout Quand je serai plus là, est-ce qu'ils seront tristes Remplis mon verre jusqu'au bout Parce qu'il est à moitié vide Pessimiste, pas du tout mmh, Aidez-moi mmh, Je me sens si seul mmh, Laissez-moi, c'est mon droit D'être déprimé dans mon fauteuil L'espoir d'une lueur Que demain sera meilleur Mais j'en ai marre d'être déprimé Et ça me déprime d'en avoir marre Mais à quoi bon me réveiller Je préfère dormir toute la journée Si c'est pour vivre ce cauchemar Mais pourquoi j'ai plus de peine que les autres Alors que les autres n'ont aucun problème D'ailleurs est-ce que tout ça c'est pas de leur faute À ces égoïstes au bonheur obscène C'est mon droit d'être déprimé dans mon fauteuil Et à l'espoir d'une lueur Que demain sera meilleur Welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. Now, you picked up an interesting story vis-a-vis rainbow crosswalks. Yes. Uh, something kind of... I don't know. It's one of those things that at first it was kind of surprising. And then you think about it for half a second and you're like, oh, I guess somebody probably should have seen this coming. Or not. 
or I, or not, which is uh, an off-color joke that is actually quite relevant. Um, so there is uh, there were three groups in Scotland that independently discovered that rainbow crosswalks are actually a safety concern. And uh, one was an advocacy group for people with visual disabilities. One was a group uh, for people with visual disabilities. And one was a group that trained seeing eye dogs. And they discovered that uh, people with certain vision disabilities and dogs who perceive color differently from us don't perceive the colored crosswalks appropriately. And some of it is just things like the red and the purple stripe don't contrast enough with the the asphalt, mm -hmm. so they they can't see those stripes as well. Uh, sometimes it's the the dogs just see it as visual noise; they don't understand it as being a crosswalk. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just been they've discovered that there's just safety concerns. And one of the easy solutions is to put white stripes down either side or to alternate like colored stripe, white stripe, colored stripe, white stripe, colored stripe, white stripe, because then the dog still sees the the white stripes of the crosswalk. Um, and it's just this thing that, that nobody thought about. And it, it's a very small thing. And uh, I don't think I've seen anybody else talking about it, but it's just, it was only a couple days ago. But no. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think rainbow crosswalks, we're seeing them all over the place. Oh, yeah. uh, the pride flag, or the trans flag on certain crosswalks. But, this, you know, the crosswalk paint is not the only signal to the visually impaired on, on where and how to cross the road. Mm -hmm. You know, very often there are bumps in the ground for yeah. a tactile difference. There are buttons and things, proximity things that set off the, the audio beep mm -hmm. uh, to let you know to cross the road. So there are, you know, we're not, we're not, I do not believe that the junction of Church and Wellesley is now going to be a, a death trap yeah. for the visually impaired. Well, to be fair, the stories coming out of Scotland, they may have a different infrastructure there. Yeah, this is true. So, But adding a brighter white line, framing the crosswalks, yeah. you know, there is, I think, instead of exploring, no, we don't do this, I would be curious about what can we do in addition to yeah. this? What can we add mm -hmm. or, or, you know, emphasize in a way that would increase the visibility? It does kind of come back to sort of an engineer's issue of sometimes things are the way they are for a reason. And you may want to do your interesting thing uh, but you kind of can't do that. So classic things about like, there was that, uh, building in, I think it was Chicago where it was like a, a giant box on a pillar. And then there was an undergraduate student who said like, that thing's going to topple over. You didn't put a pillar in the right spot. And, uh, it turns out she was completely and totally right. And even the like million dollar architects who designed the building went like, oh dang, you're right. So they had to like put in a pillar, but they didn't put that pillar there because they didn't want to ruin the visual aesthetic. And there's little things like that, like, or, or, you know, those giant, uh, the trusses, the big iron framework on the top sides of bridges, yes. like, that is there for a reason. And there are places when they renovate bridges and they partly remove the trusses and then the whole thing becomes unstable and they have to put them right back in. So sometimes things are the way they are for a reason. And I mean, it kind of, it's really weird, but it's this intersection between like queer politics and engineering of like maybe get an engineer in to be like, is this this way for a reason? Can we add to it without taking anything else yeah. away? Um, but don't get me wrong. When queer folks have tried to express themselves in many ways over many, many years, mm -hmm. the argument of that's not how it's done or, you yeah. know, it's unsafe. Yeah. There are 
thinly veiled excuses that mm. have been held you know, against the queer community for, for many, sure, yeah. many years. And that's why I think framing it in terms of what can we do to augment this? What yes. can we do to kind of also cover this particular piece? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a very interesting story. We'll keep an eye on how it unfolds further. Now, the last story I have is we are aware that the global AIDS conference okay. happened in Montreal in uh, just over the last week or so. And during the AIDS conference, I think it's AIDS 22 was the name of the conference. Um, during the AIDS conference, they were talking about a uh, an individual who was 63, year old, 63 years old mm-hmm. and uh, had been diagnosed with HIV in... I think the 80s, mm-hmm. a long time, yeah, he'd been living with HIV since the 80s uh, and is now widely reported as the fourth person mm-hmm. to be completely cured, mm-hmm. completely cured yeah. of HIV. Which means uh, not taking the antiretrovirals anymore and yet the HIV does not come back. So, I mean, like, there's the simple way to test it is to go off your meds and see if it progresses into AIDS and none of that. He seems to be fine. So we don't want to get your hopes up here. Yeah. Because the real story here is that this is yet another Mm -hmm. person who has had really effective HIV treatment. Mm -hmm. Now, the way HIV works in in a very much a nutshell is that it hides in various parts of the body and, and slowly duplicates. And the medication finds it, stops it duplicating, and eventually those cells die. Well, it, most importantly, it hides inside the immune system itself. It hides all over the place. Well, yes, but... Specifically. It does hide everywhere, but the reason why it's hard to treat is because one of those places, it's one of the few viruses that hides inside the immune system. So the immune system... It's like, you know, where's the cat? Where's the cat? I can't find the cat. And the cat's hiding under the chair that you're sitting on. Mm-hmm. It, it's that situation where you just can't find the cat. And the cat's like in your lap the whole time. Or so something. the question is, how are people being miraculously cured of HIV? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're effectively on the medication, they can, it can take it down to undetectable levels mm-hmm. where there is maybe virus somewhere. Yeah. But it is so small and so hidden and so unable to replicate because of the medication that uh, it's effectively unmissable. Now, a lot of these cases, including this fourth man, Mm -hmm. have had leukemia. Okay. So this individual had leukemia and then had a bone marrow transplant. Okay. And it turns out the HIV was also hanging out in <laughs> in in the bones. So yeah, the uh, bone marrow being where the helper te- well, the, where half of the immune system comes from is in the bone marrow. Yeah, there was a there's a treatment that they experimentally did about twenty years ago, and it worked for one person, and they could not replicate it. Where they replaced all of his blood, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is going to be a bit of a process because you got a lot of blood in you. You are an ugly bag of mostly water, as they said in, you know, Next Generation. But um, there is a... It's a weird thing, and it kind of worked that one time, but it's so interesting that yet again, because when you get leukemia, part of the treatment is kind of technically they are basically replacing all of your blood. Mm-hmm. Because leukemia, in case you forgot, is basically blood cancer. So you yeah, need to yeah. overhaul your blood system. That's so... Interesting. That but this it, is not the first time that someone has been cured by of HIV 
as a byproduct of a blood bone marrow uh, transplant. Hmm. You know, it's it's almost like they scrape you so clean that there is not nowhere for the HIV to hide, and that's how you get the last of it. I bring this up because although it's interesting, although it continues to what we know roughly about HIV in the past, mm. it is not something that you can replicate. You know, no. if if the if the go to cure is bone marrow transplant, mm. I think we're going to struggle with uh, with fighting this particular disease or replacing all of your blood. Yeah, these aren't these aren't. You yeah. know, this is this is a bit more tricky than just an injection in the arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on it. I don't know. This was. Uh, Sorry, it's not the fourth, it's the fifth person to mm. be uh, in remission from, from HIV. Either way, interesting, but not necessarily shocking when we think about the fact that when you've had your whole body with the, you know, control-alt-reset button, mm. it uh, it's not that surprising. Or, you know, most cancer treatments is basically poison the hell out of you so that nothing can survive except for yourself. Mm-hmm. Cancer can't survive. Actually, a lot of the uh, uh, infections, if people have long-term infections, sometimes cancer treatment can get rid of that, but that's basically because you're power washing every cell in your body with bleach. That is That is the best example it's essentially power washing yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really unpleasant it's horrible you're gonna vomit your face out and probably lose a ton of weight but you are scrubbing every cell in your body with and bleach some, yeah. yeah but it's not advisable i wouldn't no. i wouldn't recommend it do as not do it if you yeah, don't yeah, have absolutely. to yeah yeah all right well i mean i'm not a medical expert but uh i, I think th- i think someone who's not a medical expert can confidently say you probably don't want cancer or cancer treatment yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are, you know what, that, those are bold decisions. I'm going to yeah, back them. I can stand by that, even yeah, though yeah. I do not have a medical degree. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, right, we're going to play Playing Out with uh, La Vie by uh, Irish Maiden uh, from the album Little Bones. I have been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. Even when they're not true Running through your mind Till you're tired on the floor You know what's gonna happen And it makes you want it more And I'm so close to crying I've never worn a bigger smile And I'm so close to dying I've never felt so alive Wrapping in your skin I know it's going nowhere, never felt so far from home Watching in your eyes, the thoughts that just aren't there I see that it means nothing, and the more you never cared And I'm so close to crying I've never worn a bigger smile And I'm so close to dying I've never felt more alive about the future when you can't hold a tune 
Bumbling into ecstasy when it's all that you can do Looking out when you're blind but you see everything Voices in your head shouting out 